This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, Julian and Chuang here, wishing you a very happy new year on this 2nd January 2019. And we're just looking at um, e- economic and um, stock prices uh, as we start the new year. Singapore has reported the fourth quarter GDP growing at a very ominous 2.2% for the fourth quarter of uh, 2018 and ending the year, the whole year, achieving about a 3.3% growth for their economy. That's right. So, um, of course, Singapore being like Malaysia, an outwardly focused, export-driven uh, economy, it's kind of like a proxy and, and, a la- and a larger mirror image of our fortunes in Malaysia. One and a half to three and a half percent is the outlook for 2019, and of course, unlike Malaysia, Singapore provides a range of GDP expectations, and um, two percentage points is actually a really wide range. Um, But more more intriguingly, Brigadier General Lee Hsien Yung said that uh, he sees major uncertainties on the global uh, policy front because of the impasse uh, trade-wise between America and and China. (laughs) America and China. Yeah, and PMI data as of December for both China and America seem to be coming off by a, a great uh, margin. And that is quite a foreboding sign for risky assets going forward. That's right. If you look at the Singapore trend, it's also quite worrying because if the fourth quarter is 2.2 and the whole year is 3.3, you yeah. know that uh, you know we are going through a downtrend. And Singapore, of course, is an exporting nation, uh, same as Malaysia. Yep. Uh, so this uh, will have implications for Malaysia. Um, as for Malaysia, last month, the World Bank lowered its GDP growth uh, forecast uh, for 2018 to 4.7% from 4.9% uh, 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 earlier in, on in October, namely due to f- two factors, lower government spending as well as a decline in investment, both public and private. Yeah, so Jules, you know how share markets are very good forward indicators of where sentiment is and where business spending goes, right? So December was a really bad month for share markets all over the world, Malaysia included. And um, um, I, I tried to put Vishnu Varathan on the spot this morning. You know, he's from Mizuho Bank in Singapore. He does a strategy and we asked him about his uh, message to investors and he was actually quite uh, measured and nuanced in his response. He said, I asked him uh, whether, you know, it's time for investors to actually double down on the bottoms and to, you know, try and, and buy on the bounce or whether it's a more interesting proposition to be in cash and gold at this point in time being safe haven uh, asset classes. And he said that <laughs> he was very he was very measured. He said, depends on how... And you know how you know how these money people are always you know, their fallback response is on is always on risk profile, right? It all depends on how your risk profile sits and whether I, you're risk averse or I, not. I totally agree with that. Yeah, you know, correct, I, correct, I, I correct. don't think you should just look at headline numbers, correct. but look at where you are in life as well. Correct. So the message I took away from him is that uh, unless you're a very risk uh, on individual and you've got lots of cash to burn and you're not leveraged in any way, shape, or form, then you would be selling who, into who, the who isn't right? <laughs> who isn't right? Yeah. So yeah. And so, you know how gold ended really well um, in, in December 2018. That's so, right. That's yeah. right. Uh, you you would be happy because you have kilograms of that in your vault. Uh, uh, tons. Yeah, I've got yeah. tons okay. of bullion <laughs> in my house. We'll be checking in with uh, Vishnu uh, later on uh, when we talk about the market. And uh, Chong, I think you should also focus on the three very famous analysts that we have in the country. Uh, Julian Ng? No, uh, uh, who are the ex-PM, the current PM, <laughs> and the future PM. The future uh, PM. Tun Dr. Mahate actually said uh, he, he gave a more optimistic tone of the country, saying that if we work hard enough, 
um, then we will achieve development uh, developed nation status by 2019. Yeah, that's a very um, very uh, erudite statement from the current prime very, minister. Very, very uh, cryptic, very cryptic. very cryptic as he always is. And then the uh, prime minister designate Dato Sri Anwar Ibrahim, he has urged Putrajaya to focus on the important issues affecting the nation and to not pay attention to the uh, little little side swipes that from the unseen hands. And uh, what, not what he means by that, I don't know. Unseen hands, uh, well. Make what you will out of that, uh, but certainly, uh, I, I think a lot of people are concerned about unemployment. Uh, which uh, which Anwar apparently he did this survey with uh, three thousand students, and uh, some of the the worries have surfaced, like uh, very high youth unemployment and cost of living. And I guess those are the perennial themes that the government has to think about. Wage stagnation was another one. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, not to be out outdone, uh, Chuang, our ex PM uh, is all doom and gloom for him. Uh, one that Malaysia was facing tougher times because of the falling stock market, falling foreign, foreign reserves, and also slowing economic growth. He said that 2019 will be a challenging year for the people. And of course, it will be challenging because of all the global maelstroms facing the nation as well as the rest of the world. But um, some perspective needed, of course, because a lot of these uh, global maelstroms are not domestic uh, emanating, right? They've come from larger global issues. Uh, admittedly, a lot of these problems were also uh, being set uh, since uh, the times of the ex-prime ministers, right? Uh, and the most recent one being uh, PM Najib. So maybe he had a hand to play in the kind of tough times that we are going through right now. Okay, some stuff. <laughs> some stuff on cash and jewels. No more taking your, your cash to casinos to change in the chips because Bank Nagara Malaysia is saying that... Um, Cash transactions of over 25,000 ringgits now needs to be reported from Bank Negara to Bank Negara, um, obviously to address um, anti-money money laundering uh, concerns. And if you think that is bad, actually the uh, the net, the dragnet has actually become narrower because in the past it used to be 50,000 ringgit. Now for 25,000 ringgit, uh, casinos and banks must report the identity to them. Uh, absolutely. It's just a process of sanitizing the money, uh, taking them to the casino and recycling it and uh, coming out as you know clean and legal money. So they want to put a stop to that. Um, and uh, I think... Uh, you know, uh, you know, this is probably to uh, stop the creation of future um, JOLOs, uh, future, um, you know, kleptocrats, maybe, perhaps, yeah, right? That's right. If, if they go to casinos. So if you take the same amount of money, 25,000 ringgits, uh, and, and one ringgit, obviously, obviously, to pass the threshold to a bank, and you try and change that to a, a banker's check or banker's draft, uh, electronic transfer, FD rollovers, or even renewals. No, those are excluded. Those are excluded. Oh, those are excluded. Yeah. Oh, so you can actually take your cash there, right? No, those are, I guess those are having uh, their own uh, little uh, form of governance and reportation. Of course, that, of course, uh, of course. You, you would be very hard to uh, pass through 50,000 through the system without being Notice, I think. Yeah. Actually, actually, if you go to a money changer right now, and if you uh, try and get more than three thousand ringgits change into in foreign currency, that also must be reported to Bank Negara. Absolutely, three thousand ringgit only. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I guess Chuang, you you would have the beef to pick with this because Bank Nagara has this great big cashless push. You know, this is apart from the money laundering aspect, the corruption aspect, with which our PM Dr. M said that you know cashless will promote the anti-corruption agenda. But going cashless, Bank Nagara has a big agenda on that as well. What's well, a global agenda? I mean, look around the world: Larry Summers of the US, Mario Draghi of the ECB, Narendra Modi of India. Three of the largest uh, economic regions and zones around the world have been 
going and, and basically victimizing cash and, and trying to accelerate this whole push towards a digital economy. The larger mantra, of course, for them is that um, illegal activities must be stamped on. And I agree with that. But um, you, you don't know, like it on the whole, though. Because it's, it's big brother, isn't it? Because once you go fully digital, every single transaction that you make and, uh, and receive can be accounted for and monitored by the government. If you have a government that is honest, transparent and open and responsible, more power to you or more power to us. But what if you don't? Then right. what happens? Okay, so uh, that's one area that uh, they would have to work on. Uh, but just looking at Bank Nagara's targets, uh, those are not really big asks. Uh, from the financial sector blueprint for 2011 to 2020, e-payment transactions per capita, the target is to be 200 by 2020, not a lot, actually, Chong. Yeah, actually, Malaysia is actually, okay, on, on a peer basis, right? And I'm not saying that the UK is a peer to us. But 10 years ago when I was working in the UK, debit card transactions were a big thing in London. Everybody was using the debit card transactions. And that's good because debit card transactions basically means that you can't use your card to, to pay for stuff if you don't have the money inside. So it's not credit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah so it's, I, I, it's, it's safer in a way. That's right. And and I think that e-payment is also gaining a lot of traction. I've been using a lot of e-payment recently and, uh, you know, I love it. Uh, and uh, compared to debit card, the target for Bank Nagara is just 30 per capita by 2020. And I guess that's uh, that reflects the t- uh, momentum. Is of, that annual or daily or monthly or weekly? Uh, that would be annual. I think per capita. 30 would, per year? Per, per year. I mean, that's two nothing. a month. That's nothing. just over two a yeah, month. You, you've done more than that in the past hour. Right? I've got more debit contracts <laughs> com- coming out of my ears. No, not really. But um, yeah. Good yeah, uh, and also a number of checks to be cleared a uh, target by 2020 to be 100 million. I guess this uh, would be a much lower number than uh, what we have in the past. Um, moving on uh, to the other news, the government may include an end-of-life mechanism under the next automotive policy uh, or, or the Malaysian automotive policy. Now, Chong, I think you are an auto guy and uh, you would probably have a lot to say about this. What do you think of, uh, first of all, what is uh, end-of-life policy? Okay, the end-of-life policy or uh, cash for clunkers program basically is the more colloquial term. It means that there are incentive schemes to be put in place for you to get rid of your old car in exchange for a new car. And there are a whole ton of policy positives and policy negatives, um, both for and against the end-of-life policy. Obviously, for is that you get to reinvigorate or invigorate your automotive uh, industries because it means that the, uh, the protons and protons of this world and the third national cars of this world can push more of their cars onto the Malaysian public and you get to um, massage total industry volume to the to the good, uh, the other one, of course, is of course the fact that newer cars are much more safe, much safer, much more economical, uh, much more um, uh, luxurious than old cars, and um, safety aspects and health aspects are very much the order of the day. But the policy negatives is that people can't afford to buy new cars. People can't afford to take a high purchase schemes because their salaries are not just, just not high enough to accommodate the cost of cars, even the new cars of, the, of today. That's right. So higher impact on uh, cost of living. But, you know, I'm, I'm just fascinated by the definition of what a clunker is. That's a 10-year-old car or higher. Um, Your car is 10 years old, Yeah, right? I, I mean, there are a lot of 10-year-old cars on the road. There are uh, still, uh, they look still quite healthy. So to enforce something uh, to end that life, uh, to euthanize that car may not not necessarily be the uh, most desirable policy, isn't it? That's right. And 
like it or not, the fact that we are doing this as well is lending itself to this whole path to obsolescence because every single new uh, thing that you buy today has a finite um, life to it. Uh, you know, mobile phones, for example, technology in the words of Jean-Claude Beaver, the CEO of Taekwoya, um, predicates itself on making the previous model, the previous incarnation obsolete because new software, new technologies, new capabilities. Built-in new obsolescence. Built-in obsolescence. Yeah, the iPhone people know iPhone totally people, about that. They right? know all about After that. After two minutes, you're the iPhone number 20 uh, version number 20 comes out and exactly. then you've got to spend more money again. And then if you own an Android phone, um, every single year there's this new ice cream vanilla or uh, um, <laughs> polka dot uh, pie comes in and then I think <laughs> and you're showing your age strong. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, but this uh, recycling law is not unique to us. Japan has such a policy where uh, and, and, uh, recycling is enforced at the cost of uh, the customer, not the cost of the government or the car manufacturer. Uh, but I'm just not sure how Malaysia can even implement this because it will cost money to pay out cash uh, to uh, the car recyclers. And uh, will it really necessarily help industry because we really don't have the economies of scale to compete in the world uh, car market yet because our car's uh, total volume a, uh, a month is what, 400000 Well, I tell you what, this Proton X70 is pretty darn good. Yeah, I've seen that, it. that may be the case, uh, you know, but uh, are we producing enough cars to enforce this 10-year uh, policy? I don't know. It's, it's a push, right? It's, it's, it's not some much vaunted goal that we can get there eventually. Um, the, the bigger objective for the three car producers eventually in Malaysia will be to export into the Chinas of this world and Indias of this world. I, I don't know if we can compete against the likes of uh, you know, Audi and Toyota, which produce like 10 million cars a year compared to our 600,000 cars a year. I tell you what, right? How, how do, we, how do <clears throat> we really lower down our costs? I, I used to be a huge anti-Proton person, right? And I've seen the Proton X70 for what it's produced and what it's capable of at the price point of what? Essentially 20, 25,000 US dollars for the top end model, maybe $30,000 for the top end model. It's darn good value, man. Um, really, well, really the, the question is whether Proton produced that or uh, was it Geely, uh, the Chinese Correct. who But be who that as it may. <laughs> be that as it may. <laughs> it's coming up to 9 o'clock news and uh, we'll be looking at what's happening in the stock markets and also covering story on uh, the price of gold and Netflix, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.